This is the Getting Better Now podcast, presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. We've all had them. Some bad enough that we'll remember them forever. Others are just enough to cause a bad day at the club. When something goes wrong and you're faced with an unhappy customer, what do you do? Explain, defend, educate, run and hide? I think we can all say we've done every one of these many, many times. So as it turns out, there's actually a better way. There are skills and techniques you can learn so that even when you're faced with that member or customer that just wants to get in your face and make your life difficult, you can flip that situation on its head and turn it into a positive. Today, we're going to learn how. My guest today is Richard S. Gallagher, author of the Customer Service Survival Kit. You'll hear me use the term game changer multiple times because I believe this book is just that. Rather than relying on being polite and smiling and having the right manners, Richard spells out the tactics that it takes to make upset customers end up on your side and walking away feeling really good about their interaction with you. Here's a warning, it's not that easy, but the results can make or break you. So here we go, our interview with Richard S. Gallagher, the author of the Customer Service Survival Kit. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Richard S. Gallagher, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Dean. It's great to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to this very much about learning some of the skills and the techniques that you teach in your book, The Customer Service Survival Kit, which I recommend for every one of our listeners. If you're hearing this today, get this book uh, because I think for golf professionals, this could be a real game changer for us. I stumbled on this book, you know, just kind of thumbing through online looking for something to read. I wasn't necessarily looking for a customer service book. I kind of felt like, you know, I was doing okay in that area. And then I started just thumbing through this book and quickly was intrigued by this whole ability to uh, really know what to say to diffuse these, uh, these negative customer situations that we run into seemingly too often. And quickly what I found from this book was that while I thought I was doing a pretty decent job at this in, in the past, this kind of turned everything upside down. So that's why I'm excited about today because we're going to learn some of these techniques and I think this would be eye-opening for a lot of mm-hmm. our listeners. Well, thank you. And I love everything that you're saying, Dean, because, uh, you know, and I'm especially glad to be on your podcast because my very first job was as a caddy at our local country club. I know firsthand that there's no stress in your life in terms of the kind of interpersonal situations that you get with people. People come to a golf course to have a good time. And if things get in the way of that good time, you know, whether it's not getting the right tea time or, 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 you know, whatever the rules are, um, those things can really blow up in your face. Uh, I know from debriefing with you uh, about some of the, uh, you know, things that you folks do is that, you know, you're very kind, you're very polite, and you guys are really good at what you do, and that's why you're so successful. Um, One of the things that I love about working with difficult customer situations is 
There's a lot of mechanics behind handling them, and they have nothing to do with how nice you are or how professional you are. They're job skills like any job skill, and once you've learned them, it changes everything about how a customer reacts to you. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm really taking away from this book is that these skills, while a lot of us can do okay and I'll say get by or actually do really well by being polite and professional, a lot of times when I'm thinking back on some of these situations, are we really sure that that went as well as it could have? Maybe because I felt okay about it, does that mean that the person on the other end really felt okay about it? And probably more times than we'd like to admit, uh, that probably wasn't the result of the interaction. So learning these techniques and uh, not only what we're going to go over today, but everything in the book, I think really, as I said, would be a game changer for us to make sure that more of these interactions don't turn out to be negative and adversely affect our, our standing at a club or even in our career, because that would be obviously a worst case scenario. Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, one way I'd frame this is the whole distinction between drivers and pedestrians. When you're behind the wheel of your car and some pedestrian pithers in front of you, you're thinking, these stupid pedestrians, you know, get in our way and wish they'd just get out of the road. Then you step out of your car and the cars are whizzing by you and you're saying, these stupid drivers should slow down and watch out for me and get out of my way. And we just seamlessly shift our perspective back and forth between driver and pedestrian. We're exactly the same way when we're a customer versus somebody who's serving the customer uh, because that's where human nature pulls us. One good example of where we're going to head today in the podcast, and this is something I use as an icebreaker exercise in my training courses, is one of my very first training gigs was with the Parking and Traffic Bureau of a major university. And the reason they brought me in is one of the things they do is tow people's cars away. And people aren't very happy when that happens, and they were wondering what to say. And so so I asked them. They were all certifiably nice people, just like you folks. And I said, what do you say to someone when you've just towed their car away? And they said, well, we say, I'm sorry, sir, I'm afraid you shouldn't have parked here, and unfortunately, you're going to have to pay a fine to get your car back. This all sounds reasonable and polite, but I asked them, how did people react to that? And they said, really, really badly. <laughs> so <laughs> what? So, so I taught them two things that I, I teach in, in my, my training programs, which is, first of all, to acknowledge what the other person is thinking and feeling. And that sounds like the easy part. Most of us can wrap our head around the idea of acknowledging another person, but most of us never actually do that in a difficult customer situation. We'll talk a little later about the mechanics of how to do that well. But the other principle that I taught comes from what I call strength-based psychologies. You know, I'm a practicing psychotherapist, and uh, the core idea of strength-based psychology is that you always speak to the interests of the other person, no matter what's wrong or no matter how badly that they're behaving. So I challenged these people to come up with something that would actually benefit somebody whose car they just towed away, who had to pay a fine to get their car back. And after a lot of hemming and hawing and squirming in their seats, they came up with something beautiful. They said, your car's in a safe place. Mm. I know where your car is. I can help you get your car back. I get frustrated when things like this happen to me, so I know how you feel. And so, so here's what's interesting, Dean, is when we would role play what they used to say, it would always turn out the same way. People would get angrier and angrier, even in role play. But when they role played the new things, no one could get angry. And this wasn't just a technique I made up. This was based on a well-known principle of behavioral psychology called social cognition. And what that means in English is we have about 15 seconds at the beginning of a conversation to flip a friend versus foe switch that the other person has. 
And, uh, and all that we try to do in learning how to handle critical customer situations is use language that will flip that switch in your favor every time. So you went from they went from being the person that towed the car to becoming the person that could help them get their car back. Exactly and that, correct. And by, <laughs> and that, and and by using the, the language around. of an ally, which is mm-hmm. which is a, a matter of mechanics, not attitude, that changed everything. So I want to um, get into uh, some of the points we're going to make today. Talk about sure. get into dive deeper into that acknowledge, but but first. Let's learn a little bit about more about you and your background. Uh, you, I know you mentioned sure. a little bit about what you do already, but how did you get to be mm-hmm. this expert in in managing customers? Well, thank you for asking. Back when I went to college back in the 1970s when dinosaurs roamed the earth, <laughs> I was actually one of Cornell University's first dual majors in engineering and psychology. Uh, there's no such thing as a degree in customer service, and mine's in engineering, actually. So I spent many years in the software business and eventually moved into management and became director of customer services for a large West Coast software company. Uh, later, I moved back east to upstate New York, where I'm from, and managed a 24-hour call center operation and we created near-perfect customer satisfaction ratings, near-zero turnover, and a 25% increase in revenue in the middle of a recession. So I'm really passionate about the mechanics of how you treat customers and how you deploy those mechanics across an entire team of people. Well, good. So I can only imagine the challenges of managing a call center like that. I know that mm-hmm. as golf professionals, there are days we feel like we're at a call center <laughs> as well. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You know, with a bunch of angry customers calling, you know, a cable company or something. But uh, so we're going to help with that today. So you make the case in the customer service survival kit that, unlike probably most of us would think, that these these uh, bad service comes from people being rude or maybe not caring. You make the case that it really comes from something else. That's right. I think the single biggest reason for bad customer situations is fear. Um, and here's the way I'll, I'll lay it out. When I'm up in front of an audience, I'll often ask them, how many of you have had a situation with customers that have just totally gone sideways? And probably about two-thirds of people raise their hand, sometimes more. But then when I ask them, how often did that happen? The answer is not that often. I'm personally a veteran of about 25,000 customer transactions, and I can count the number of situations that just really went off the rails on maybe the fingers of a hand and a half. But I remember all of those situations, mm-hmm. and my experience managing large-scale customer contact operations is that people worry about twisting in the wind in a bad situation, and so that causes them to approach every customer from a defensive posture that actually causes a lot of those customer situations. These are situations, for example, where a customer is not happy about something and you lead with saying, I'm sorry, that's our pol- your policy, instead of acknowledging them first. And then that escalates them and then we respond to that escalation by being defensive. That's just our human nature. And you really overcome human nature by learning techniques. So my strategy has always been teach everybody how to handle your very worst customer situations, because I've found in the trenches that that makes everyone supremely confident with every customer situation, and that in turn has been the key to creating awesome service. What a real strength that would be for any team to have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody confident that they can handle any difficult situation. So let's dive into some of these skills. We're going to 
look at sure. three specifically today. We're starting with acknowledgement, then how to deliver bad news, and mm-hmm. how to diffuse an angry situation. So it starts with acknowledgement, and in my experience, which is not long with this, a couple weeks uh, having read this book and then trying to implement mm-hmm. this in person through email, whatever interactions I may have at work, I I think that this acknowledgement is really the trickiest one uh, that Mm -hmm. uh, we don't naturally gravitate to, but uh, once we have that skill and maybe formed a little bit more as a habit, then I think really is the the first way to really change the way that we interact in these situations. That's very well put, Dean. Uh, You know, if you try an experiment, if you go to the grocery store tonight or go out to eat and listen to people talking to the customers they serve, one of the things you're going to notice is that 99% of the time, nobody ever acknowledges or plays back what a customer is saying, even when things are going well. And it is a skill that's not part of our human nature and needs to be taught. And when you learn the skill of acknowledging people well, that more than anything changes everything about how customers react to you. So let me walk you through an example of what people try to do when I ask them to acknowledge people. The first thing they'll often say is, I understand. What's the most common thing that people say back when you say, I understand? No, you don't. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the reason for that is, I understand is a catchphrase. 50 years ago, it may have meant, I understand you, but um, nowadays, if you use it, it's gotten so worn by overuse as a distancing phrase that most people interpret it as drop dead. I'm not listening to you. Well, right. So you, it what, just comes out. Yeah. You just say it. Right? Of course, because <laughs> we don't know what else to say. Right. So here's here's what here's what psychologists would prescribe instead of that um, would be one of what I call four octane levels of acknowledging people. The lowest bargain basement level is paraphrasing and. Paraphrasing is simply a matter of taking somebody's words, gift wrapping them in their own word, your own words, and then handing their thought right back to them. It sounds really lame to be just playing back what somebody says to you, but when you actually do it, what you're doing is you're sending three powerful messages. You're saying, I heard you, I processed what you're saying, and it's safe for us to talk about it. So this is when a customer comes up to you and says, I'm really frustrated about this. And you say, wow, this sounds like this is really inconveniencing you. Um, That's paraphrasing what they said. Right, as opposed to, I understand you're frustrated, right? (laughs) Right. Well, and that's an okay okay thing to say, too, although I try to avoid the catchphrase, I understand. I still catch myself doing it, too, because human nature is very strong and it pulls us in that direction. So... So think of it this way. Paraphrasing is saying, here's your words. The next octane level, the next step up from there, is what I call observation. And this is where, instead of telling them what they said, you play back to them what they feel. And since you can't crack open their head and see what they're feeling, you have to take a guess at that. So that would be something like, I can tell by your tone of voice how frustrating this is for you, or I can see how important this is to you. And the thing that's interesting is uh, when I was training to be a psychotherapist, one of the things I did was I served as a volunteer in a suicide prevention crisis line for uh, for a while. And one of the things they teach you is to always play back and guess at what the other person's feeling. And even if you're guessing wrong, if you say, wow, you sound frustrated, and they're saying, no, I'm not frustrated, I'm, I'm hurt or I'm angry, they still appreciate the fact that you're locked in on how uh, they're feeling. I do put a little asterisk in front of this technique because 
you do need the right connection and sincerity for it to work. Otherwise, it can sound patronizing. So if I don't know you very well, Dean, and I say, well, Dean, I sense you're feeling a lot of anger here, you might not react well to that. But if we have a good connection, I say, wow, that must have been frustrating for you, um, then we're connected. So I'm of the opinion we don't acknowledge each other anywhere near enough. And again, this works about 85% of the time. But of these four levels, this is one where you do have to use your gut. Um, Well, we're actually, though, for those of us listening that are working at private clubs or Mm -hmm. if we're in situations where maybe we're dealing with a a student of ours that we teach regularly Mm -hmm. that we know, or maybe it's a customer that's regularly at our our daily fee facility or resort, Mm -hmm. we know them. That's you know, so this make, that makes this a little bit easier. I would think that if we can think back, well, I know how important this this tournament is to you, or I know how mm-hmm. hard you've been working on your game, and etc. Perfect. I think that uh, we're, we have a little bit of an advantage rather than somebody that's at a grocery store upset about something, <laughs> right? So, well, you know, you frame that perfectly, Dean, because you know the fact that you know somebody—that's one dimension in terms of what kind of acknowledgement you can use. Uh, if you sense the other person can sense your sincerity, you can also use this technique and have it work for you. But this is a matter of using your gut in practice. Which leads me to the next octane level because this is where I actually like to live most of the time because it's not only more powerful it's also a little safer and this is called validation so think of it this way paraphrasing is here's your words observation is here's your feelings validation says i see how you feel and i think you have a right to feel that way i think your feelings are valid and you can say this even if you violently disagree with somebody or if you can't give them what they want because you're saying in your world i get that this makes sense to you so validation is really simple and really mechanical all you do is compare them to other people. So all you have to do is just invite a big crowd in your answer and say, nobody likes not getting the right tea time, or everybody hates having to follow these rules, you know, when they don't know about them. Mm-hmm. So validation, even though you're not changing the rules, or even though you can't give them that tea time, you let them know, I totally get where you're coming from, and it makes sense, and I'm framing you as a totally reasonable person. And that's, that's one of these that really, when I said this turned some things upside down for me, I, I would say that's one of them. Right. Because you know, naturally, we may think that, well, if, if I say that to this person, if I say, I totally get it, and of course you're upset, am, am I telling them that I'm wrong and they're right no matter what? So that that's, I think, what makes that such a challenge, but yet mm-hmm. probably why it's so valu- valuable. You see, that's a brilliant observation. What you're, 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 you've just laid out the reason why most people don't do this, because it feels like it's dancing dangerously close to agreeing with the other person, which you're not. But when you actually do it, this is, again, this is that driver versus pedestrian split that we talked about earlier. People want to be heard. People want to be acknowledged. People want to feel like there's some value in them having put themselves out there to come and complain to you. And that's why these techniques are so important. And that leads then to the highest octane level, which almost nobody does for exactly this reason, which is uh, identification. Identification is when you put yourself into it. And again, you're still not agreeing with them. What you're saying is, if I had your map, if I saw the world the same way you do, which I don't, I could see feeling the same way. So identification phrases would be, you know, if that happened to me, I'd be furious too. Or, you know, that would bother me as well. Or, you know, so you're not saying what happened to you wasn't fair. 
you can what instead you're saying is I can see why you thought I can understand why you thought this wasn't fair mm-hmm. because I'd react the same way if that's what I had thought. You know, one of the most common, maybe every day or seemingly every day occurrences for a lot of us is somebody coming in saying that the play was too slow. That was right. You know, absolutely, it just took too long to play. And this fits perfectly in there because there yes. isn't a golfer out there that does like to play t- too slow or whatever they perceive to mm-hmm. be too slow. Of course. And what a great way to to kick off or respond to that s- situation instead of, well, it was really busy there and, and I'm out there and I'm sorry. Or, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the course is playing tough today, so uh, sorry, there's nothing we can do. But, you know, saying that, you know, I totally get it. Nobody likes to play when it's that slow. I certainly don't. And I would, you know, is there, that's a question. Is it all right to say I would be upset too, or I wouldn't want to play at that pace as well? In that case, totally. There's nothing yeah. wrong with saying with as much mustard as possible. I hate it when people play slow. Mm-hmm. You're not, um, you're not throwing your golf club under the bus. You're not uh, changing the rules. Um, you're not even saying that anybody or anything is wrong. You're just saying, you know, that's a human emotion, and I get that, and boy, I'd feel the same way too. So is now a good time to go into maybe what the next step of that would be? Or, um, yes. <laughs> all right, Absolutely. So, so we've so, acknowledged them. That's right. Upset. So you're still upset. Okay, so uh, the uh, so the next thing I want to talk about is how to prevent these things from escalating in the first place. Because you may think that you're in the business of running golf establishments, mm-hmm. but in reality, you're in the business of delivering bad news to people right. when people are playing too slow, or you can't they can't get the tea time they want, or they or something isn't working for them, and so. One of the next techniques I teach is how to deliver bad news in a way that people won't go off on you. And this, again, borrows from behavioral psychology. It's a technique I call staging, and it involves giving people bad news in stages. Uh, and it's based on a technique of psychology known as systematic desensitization, which means if you spoon-feed bad news to people in small stages, they can process it and absorb it and get used to it. And they may not be happy, but they'll absorb that bad news without going off on you, which is the goal that you're looking for mm-hmm. here. Um, it's best explained by example. Okay. Let's say I take my car in uh, for a minor rattle on the dashboard. I call up at the end of the day, and they say, um, yes, Mr. Gallagher, you know, your car's ready, and it's going to cost $800. So how am I going to react to that? What? <laughs> right. I'm going to react with a lot of shock, anger, and annoyance, and I'm going to take that out at the person at the other end of the phone. They're going to go home and say, you know, it's not my fault these cars break down. It's not my fault that these repairs are expensive, but they take all this anger on me. It's not fair. So now let's replay this with staging, and then let's turn this around to the golf world. Um, If I start off with the first step of staging, which is a good introduction, uh, the core principle of staging is give the bad news second. There's nothing disingenuous about that. The first thing you give them is an introduction that prepares them for the fact that you're going to say something very important to them. Um, there's no all-purpose introduction, um, but good ones involve either acknowledging them or walking them through what your procedure is or what's going to happen. So I might say, you know, Mr. Gallagher, um, we th- had hoped that your repair would be a minor repair because it seemed like a minor rattle on the dashboard. Unfortunately, it turned out to be something more serious than that. Uh, You may know, Mr. Gallagher, that you have a late model car. And now I move into step two of staging, which is uh, explanation. I go through the 
details or the reasons for what's happening with as much detail as possible. We don't realize this, but when we're in a difficult situation delivering bad news, we tend to say as little as possible because we're afraid of how the other person is going to react, and that makes us seem like a block of ice. Mm-hmm. So I'd be walking through and saying, you have a late model car, and uh, it has an airbag system, and when things go wrong with it, we tend to have to replace the entire system. And those tend to be expensive repairs. So at this point, I'll ask how much the repair costs. They'll say it's going to cost $800, and uh, then at that point, I'm not happy but I'm not angry at the other person at the end of the phone. Then the third step is acknowledge or empathize with whatever they say. And when I say, wow, that's an expensive repair, I'm going to say, right, you are. That is expensive. Let's look at some options together. And this technique works almost magically with practice at defusing situations before they happen when you're delivering the bad news. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So there are countless times in different situations where we would have to uh, deliver, you know, pretty bad news to somebody. What seems like pretty bad news, uh, right, on some level, uh, as you said. And this may you may have hurt the future of the golf industry. You know that, Rich, by saying what we really do is <laughs> is just deliver bad news all day. <laughs> but uh, maybe you know I can always cut that out if we want to save the golf industry. But um, so let me throw a scenario at you here. Well, sure, maybe we'll absolutely. work through one. Sounds great. So. I just found out that a player in our club championship is using, uh, say, we have these distance measuring devices, some of which you can mm-hmm. use. There are features that you can or can't use. So let's say he's using okay. one that uh, has a feature you're not allowed to use, and the penalty is disqualification. So uh-huh. I have to disqualify him from the biggest tournament of the year. Absolutely. That's a nice, meaty customer situation. So here's how we're going to go through this with staging. First, you use an introduction. And in this case, because the consequences are so severe, you want to prepare this golfer for the fact that you're delivering a very important message. So I would start this conversation by saying, uh, we need to talk, and I need to talk about something that we discovered when, you know, we were observing your play on the course. Then in the second part, the details... I'm not going to start with you were a bad dog or you did something wrong. I'm going to start with walking him through or her through what the rules are. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, so here's what we look for in a golf tournament is we have certain distance measuring devices that are okay, certain are not. And those that are not, um, you know, they're actually showstoppers in terms of people being able to uh, continue in the tournament. And it's only if you've gone through those two steps, the good introduction and then the details of walking the golfer through what's leading up to this, that you've prepared the golfer for the fact that he or she is going to be disqualified. Mm -hmm. So now let's take this a step further. They're not going to be happy about this. We know that. And they're going to respond by saying, what do you mean I'm disqualified? This is terrible. You empathize with that. And I'd be saying, well, of course, this is the biggest tournament of the year. You must have, you know, really, you know, this, this, I know this meant a lot to you. And uh, so you lather, rinse, and repeat with these acknowledgments, and you're going to find that much sooner than you think this golfer is going to walk away uh, at least understanding the situation Mm -hmm. and not blowing up at you. I guess one of the unfortunate situations or points about this situation is that Mm -hmm. there are no other options, right? So sometimes you're, you know, you're lucky to be able to say, well, this is unfortunate. I'm sure you're upset. I, and I understand, I understand that, but we we can we can do A, B, or C here. In this case, 
it's I'm sorry the tournament's over for you. So that's a critically important point because you know techniques for managing difficult customer situations do not require you to have a solution. And in fact, they also work when the situation's totally your fault. Let's say that you've you know booked two people for banquets at the same time. They're both important occasions, and one of them is going to have to not go. Right. For example, totally your fault, but you still use the same mechanics to talk through that situation. Okay. When I wrote the book, The Customer Service Survival Kit, I had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Nancy Davis, who's in charge of death notifications for the FBI. And so she uses a very similar process to this, delivering the worst news possible. And sadly, I was once in a situation where one of our employees was killed in the middle of our annual conference. And when I had to talk to our customers and our employees about that horrible event, I used exactly the same techniques to get us through that terrible situation. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that certainly puts in perspective some of the, the news, quote-unquote, bad news that we're <laughs> delivering. It's it's uh, never Hopefully that bad. Hopefully most things aren't that bad. But, Definitely. Uh, but, there's good, but there's good behavioral science between the mechanics of how you talk through those situations. So now let's go into our third point about just diffusing an angry situation. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess this would be when somebody's already upset at us. We're not That's delivering right. the bad news. The Maybe it's been delivered in some way, shape, or form. And this person's furious. That's correct. Somebody's approaching you with a bent golf club, and you already know it's not going to be a good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, they're, right. they're coming to you, and they just have a lot of anger. So as you can probably guess by now, Dean, I have a three-step process for, for just about everything in life. But this three-step process we're going to talk about, which I call the AAA technique, is a technique that you really have to follow in order because anger is one of our most powerful and intimate emotions. I wish I had a phrase that took people from angry to non-angry, and I don't, unfortunately. I don't think anybody does. But this is a process that you can go through to get people from 95% angry to 75% angry to 55% angry to finally when you're in that 35% angry zone where you can talk to them. Because the single biggest mistake good people like you and I make when somebody's angry is we try to problem-solve too quickly when somebody needs to be heard first. Mm -hmm. The reason that people flip the switch from frustrated to angry is because they feel unheard and powerless. And the first thing you need to do is um, go back to this whole question of acknowledgement. In life in general, and in customer situations, uh, some people like to be acknowledged a little, some like to be acknowledged a lot. That varies by personality type. Some people like to just get down to business. When somebody's angry, that all goes out the window. So the first A of the AAA process is acknowledgement. And you have to use the highest octane level possible. I'd be using, at the very least, validation or, if possible, identification, saying, wow, you know, totally get why you're so frustrated. Then the next step, the, the second A, is assessment. And that's asking good questions. Instead of wondering what you can say, you should really think about what can I ask. And so when you ask good on-topic questions. What you're doing is first you're gathering information to help solve the problem. But secondly, you're also calming the person down by turning an emotional situation into a factual one. If you've ever dealt with the police, hopefully not in handcuffs, but let's say you've had a break-in or an auto accident, um, one of the things you notice about good police officers is they ask a lot of good questions, and they're trained to do that to try to diffuse the emotions of a situation. I've been teaching this technique for 20 years, but I learned it for the first time a couple of years ago when I was in a horrific auto accident. We were in a high-speed rollover accident Mm. trapped in our vehicle in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. And uh, when the police arrived in the scene, 
they peppered me with questions, and I really was struck by how that kept me sane in a situation where I would have easily panicked. Um, and so good questions is a very powerful intervention that you use when somebody's angry. So say, okay, tell me what happened. You know, what are you looking for? Um, you know, what were the circumstances here? Um, again, plenty of acknowledgement where that's possible. Now you get to the fun part of diffusing anger situation, which is the third A, which is alternatives. And this is where you're negotiating with the person. And when that person finally gets to the point of where you can ask them what they want to make the situation right, and they demand the moon and the stars, we use another technique that I call the can-can, which is you always respond instead of no with what you can acknowledge and you can do. So when they say, I demand the moon and the stars, the first thing you have to say here is, I totally get why you want the moon and the stars. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. Then the second piece is, I wish I could give you the moon and the stars. I could give you half the moon and a quarter of a star if that would help things. You know, Would that work for you? Um, and another technique I'll throw in here is what I call the rule of threes. When they come back and say, that's totally unacceptable, you lather, rinse, and repeat. You have to acknowledge why that's important to them and you have to acknowledge why it makes sense they feel that way if you do don't do that you're dead then you reiterate your limit about giving them half the moon and a quarter of a star when you do that three times about 90 percent of the time people will understand that that's as far as they can go and they'll walk away mm-hmm. and they'll give up uh, and you'll you'll have resolved the situation so very difficult very emotional situation but again it's a question of mechanics so acknowledge uh, assessment and provide alternatives that's That's exactly correct so a lot of this gets back to acknowledge (laughs) that's the first step exactly in a number of these and as i said earlier really the first thing that stood out to me what wow i'm not doing that speaking of what not to do i think Mm -hmm. we we might have mentioned a little bit already but let's just cover real quickly really what some of the the common faults are or what we Mm -hmm. what we uh tend to do almost instinctively well I'll just say you know for me it's you tend to get defensive right away and you start explaining why well here's why we can't do this because our policy is x thinking Mm -hmm. that you know well if I just tell them why they're wrong then they'll walk away saying oh well you know what I was wrong (laughs) and he was right this was great like that's really going to happen that's exactly correct. My my answer to that would be, how well does that work with your teenage children? Right. <laughs> and it's, uh, it Which, by the way, this, the is, this, this does apply, as you've said, to your family, Absolutely. your spouse. You your, know. Right. Absolutely. And the, later in life, uh, you know, I became a practicing psychotherapist. And really, a lot of the principles of this book come from principles of marriage and family therapy, which is the, the branch of therapy that I'm part of. Mm-hmm. And I have a problem with that personally on the home front because, you know, I've been married for 40 years to a wonderful person. But when I tried these techniques, she'll point at me and say, that's on page 37. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make sure my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. So, Jennifer, <laughs> hopefully you turned this off earlier. But um, So, yes, that, that tendency to get defensive. Somebody comes right up to us and they say, you know what, I really can't believe that you did blah, blah, blah. Right. And we just want to say, right, well, exactly. no, you don't understand. I did this because, you know, you want to jump in and explain it to him right away. Exactly the, correct. The key that's is step one for all of this is acknowledge. Right. That's that's exactly correct. And, uh, you know, last year I was uh, I was at O'Hare Airport in Chicago and I was uh, at the gate waiting for my connecting flight. 
And there was a woman ahead of me who just missed the last flight of the day going home, and she was just upset and angry and pounding the lectern there. And the gate agent wasn't even looking up. She was just tapping on her keyboard, and all you could see was the top of her head, and not a word was being said. And... Uh, because that's the other thing people do is they freeze when people get angry and they don't know what to mm-hmm. say. And I feel like leaning behind and saying, I know what to say here! <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> it's even a little bit of acknowledgement saying, wow, you've missed the last flight of the day. That's miserable. You know, I've got some options for you. You know, we can get you home 12 hours from now. That's, that's tomorrow, of course. Um, and that's the way you walk through those difficult situations. So that, that reminds me, as we were chatting earlier, for a couple of reasons I wanted to fit this in here, but it's really yeah. fitting right now. Um, about um, a negative situation that you encountered. It happened, well, it would have been a negative situation. It turned out to be positive, and it happened mm-hmm. at a Philadelphia sporting event, which as right, a you know, born and bred uh, Philadelphia fan myself, people mm-hmm. think that this doesn't actually happen in the city of Philadelphia, but it did to you. So if you want to just explain this. To our oh, listeners. it certainly did. This is this is a, a technique. It has a horrible acronym on purpose. I call it the LPFSA, the Low Probability Face Saving Alternative. And this is what you do when you're tempted to say no to someone when you think you have no options, but instead you give them a low probability alternative. You tell them that it's low probability, so you're not being disingenuous with them. And instead of giving them nothing, you're giving them a can of hope in return for putting themselves out there. I first really learned this technique when I was on my way uh, to a business trip to Washington. I swung by Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia uh, to catch the Phillies and the Cubs. It's 70 degrees. It's a perfect Sunday afternoon. It's Father's Day. Phillies are a game out of first place. The stadium's totally sold out. So when I go to the ticket counter and say, Hi, I'd like to get a ticket to the game, after having paid $15 to park my car... The first thing that they said to me, and you think being Philly, they'd say, yo, forget about it. You know, but <laughs> what they actually said to me was, it's a beautiful day for baseball, and uh, we'd love to see you get in the game. Even though we're totally sold out, we don't even have any standing room tickets. We do have a tradition here at Citizens Bank Park that if people have extra season tickets that they're not using, they'll leave those extra tickets at the gate. And if we have them, we'll give those away for free. So I can't make any guarantees this close to game time, but if you want to check at the gate, we'd still love to see you get in the game. So I went to every gate. Nobody had any tickets. Everyone was as polite and helpful as the people at the ticket office. And at the end of this, I realized that, you know, I've gone to every gate. I've just circumnavigated 10 city blocks. It's 20 minutes later. I have no ticket to the game. I'm walking back to my car happy. <laughs> and I thought, this is fascinating. So I actually called up the HR director of the Phillies after I sent her an email and said, wow, this is fascinating. You know, I... I teach this stuff for a living you must train these people so she gave me a call and it turns out they have a uh, special version of the dale carnegie course that they teach every phillies employee uh, and they were trained to say exactly that but to take this a step further dean i think this is important for your golf professionals the phillies deliver a wonderful experience at the ballpark and they look for moments with people and i've seen this over and over as i come to phillies games i come down to philly probably three or four times a year for games and um I was here in 2008 when you had won the World Series. I was in Philadelphia the day of the victory parade, and Ruben Amaro, their GM, said, the reason that we can afford highly paid superstars and be competitive is that we deliver a great experience at the ballpark. And even when we're a fourth-place team, we pack our stadium. That's where the mechanics of conflict resolution tie in with the excellent service experience that make your golf clubs popular and successful. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a true business impact. In fact, the Absolutely. driver of the entire business 
is having satisfied customers, in our case, members, uh, in the Phillies case, you know, uh, people to sit in the seats, you know, so mm-hmm. you need to put on a put a good product on the field if you're a sports team, but you need people in the seats to be able to afford to put the players on the field, right? So it really is no different than, than us trying to um, attract new members or new customers or players to our golf facilities. And, and the way that we're handling these difficult customer interactions and if we're making them positive experiences then, mm-hmm. there really is a huge upside from a business standpoint for us. Absolutely. And the point I would make here is that this isn't teaching people to have a good attitude. This is teaching people the mechanics right. of what to say in their moments of truth that change everything about how people perceive you. And, and I think that's what takes us a step further because... As Absolutely. a manager, we're, we're, everybody has told and, and tried to coach their staff through being polite, being kind, saying hello, greeting people, having right phone etiquette. And it may end there, thinking that, well, that's as that's long as right. we're nice and polite, everybody will be happy. But these are truly skills that we need to learn and be able to coach the people that are working at our clubs because it does take it to that whole new level. and. And I hope through this conversation today, everybody just got a little taste of that and will go out and get this book, read it from start to finish, understand it, and then really um, take it to your facilities and and use it uh, to take your customer service to a whole nother level because I, I truly think uh, it's a game changer. So, Rich, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today and, and to get this information out to us. Well, thank you, Dean. It's been a real pleasure being with you today. How? Just before we cut out, how can everybody find out a little bit more about you, or is there somewhere they should go, or where they can get yeah, the absolutely. book? Absolutely. The website for all things Rich Gallagher is pointofcontactgroup.com. That has a list of all my books and all my training programs, and uh, uh, the Customer Service Survival Kit, which is still a best-selling book after five years in the market, is uh, widely available on Amazon and at major bookstores. All right. Well, thanks again, Rich. And we'll have to do this again to get a little bit further into the book. So hope you Anytime. Can come back. Thanks Thank a you, lot. Dean. Take care. Too. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.